You are listening to Your Practice Made Perfect, support, protection, and advice for practicing medical professionals. Brought to you by SVMIC. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Brian Fortenberry, and today we're going to be talking about a topic that is very hot today in uh, medicine. It's going to be talking about pain and treating pain conditions. And to join us for this discussion, we have Dr. Rhett Blake. Welcome, Dr. Blake. Thank you. Before we really get into the meat of our discussion, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in pain medicine and some of your background there? My name is Rhett Blake. I am a pain management physician in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I did an anesthesiology residency followed by an additional year of pain medicine fellowship training. I run a comprehensive pain medicine specialty treatment center in Chattanooga. Well, that is going to be right where we're wanting to go today because pain is such an incredibly hot topic. Why is pain such a hot topic these days? Why has it become very, very prevalent out there in today's society? I think one of the things that that makes it such a hot topic right now is the opioid epidemic, right? Sure. Um, And obviously that is closely related to pain, although those are separate things. We've had increased numbers of opioid overdose deaths. I think it was 64,000 overdose deaths related to opioids, both illicit and prescription. And so that's certainly been something that is definitely in the public conscience right now. And there have been multiple news stories. And every time you pick up a, a newspaper, it seems like there's something related to that and and what the public is doing about that. So obviously, the opioid epidemic is certainly well known to everyone. And part of that, not the whole thing, has to do with pain. That is a term and a phrase we're hearing a lot in the news and in newspapers about this opioid epidemic. What is being done about the opioid epidemic? Is it just legislation or is there a part that the physicians can play? What is being done? A lot of different things are being done about that. It seems that there are multiple different task force through the government. So several different groups have been looking at creating new legislation to kind of combat this problem. And the Tennessee Department of Health has been very, very active in this for the past probably 10 years, really. This is not a a new problem, although it seems to be only recently as well known as it is now. The Department of Health has been closely involved in in all of these processes over, over a good decade. And so a lot has been done about that. And we can kind of talk a little bit more about that if you'd like. I really would like to kind of get into some of that. Is what's being done, is it more on a national level? Is it on a state level or even a local city and county level? Or is there a combination of all of that? I would really say it's all of those. Okay. Uh, all of those issues come into place. Pain kind of gets involved in that because it's such a common issue itself. So now sure. we hear about the opioid epidemic, but pain is also an extraordinarily common problem. You know, there's an Institute of Medicine report that shows that 110 million Americans uh, have severe chronic daily pain. And so that's basically a third of all adults in the U.S. Uh, and of course, it's probably the leading reason people go to the doctors because sure. something hurts. Discomfort, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So for years, I think we've probably undertreated pain. And now we're trying to look for ways to treat pain and treat it well, but also minimize some of the unintended consequences of using opioids that have obviously seen a sharp increase in use uh, over the past 20 years. Pain is obviously something that has always existed. It's not like this is new. Why do you think that, you know, even though we've had pain for years and years, now we find ourselves in the situation of a opioid epidemic? And we're seeing a lot of people coming out of the woodwork complaining more of pain 
that you think, surely that has been there all along. Why is that? So a lot of different reasons. So when you look at the different causes of the opioid epidemic, it would be great if it was just one simple, easy thing that we could identify one problem and then fix Put that problem. Put your finger problem. on that one and correct that. But it's, uh, right. you know, many, many facets to this, uh, to this problem. And um, in terms of pain, there are a lot of different reasons we have more pain. Obviously, uh, we have a, a, a population that lives longer than we did 100 years ago or ah. 50 years ago. Uh, we have higher obesity rates than we used to. We have higher rates of some of the painful conditions like osteoarthritis and uh, degenerative disc disease. So we have more people with more painful conditions. We have more uh, surgical procedures that are, are performed today than we did 50 years ago. So hey, we have you know higher complication sure. numbers, not necessarily rates, but numbers because you know more people. And so we have reasons that more people have pain. We have uh, still have uh, a lot of the things that we do to ourselves in terms of uh, smoking and obesity that, that lead to those problems. Sure. And people want good and fairly easy treatments for pain. And so one of the reasons that opioids have been used more frequently over the past 20 years is they may have been underutilized previously, but now we have probably overshot that a little bit because they offer a, a quick and easy fix to a situation. Uh, maybe not the best fix, but, but a quick and easy fix. So another issue is that where physicians have, have higher demands or higher pressure for demands in terms of how many patients they have to see in a given amount of time. Right. Uh, they have lower reimbursement rates from insurance exactly. companies. And unfortunately, opioids fit that mold very, very well in terms of being quick and easy. And it's also very widely known in, in public that opioids treat pain. Probably 50 years ago, nobody took pain pills. Sure. Uh, you know, almost never. Right. Um, it was something that was only given IV after surgery. You were in the hospital if you needed Exactly. If you and needed so, pain um, But now it's almost expected or it has reached a point where patients expect if they have pain, they should be given an opioid. And there's this um, basically demand mentality that, again, puts pressure on physicians to prescribe opioids. And I think you hit on a point whenever you say, it is the fast and easy way to take care of it. I think just generally in society, we want quick and easy solutions these days where we used to learn to kind of deal with more of it in the past. Now we want an immediate fix. And plus you have the internet and you have all of that information out there that people are showing up probably at the offices more aware of treatments than in the past and can be more demanding. Right point. Correct. Very true. So we know that this opioid epidemic is there because, as you said, we've overshot the mark in prescribing those types of pain medications. That may be the easiest and the fastest way. Is it the only way, though? Are there other treatment options out there? Uh, certainly not the the only way, and it's uh, you know I would say that opioids are rarely ever the first line treatment for okay. for pain. Certain types of acute pain they may be you know an acute fracture, acute post operative pain. They do fit into that mold very very well for short term periods. But in terms of chronic pain, which is where we've seen them being used more frequently over the past decade or two, again they're rarely ever the first line, and there are lots of other different options that can be used for pain. How do you know? Which treatment option is the best or most appropriate for a given patient? Is there a criteria that you go through for that? I would say the most important thing is to first make an accurate diagnosis. When we talk about what causes pain, it's there's an 
infinite list of things that can cause chronic pain. And to figure out how to treat that, you first have to know what's causing it. You have to figure out what is the origin of pain, what are the anatomical structures that are involved, what are the physiologic processes that are involved in causing that pain. And and again, that's an extraordinarily long list of things that can make someone say, ouch. Right, right. But that's probably the first and possibly the most important step of treating pain. Again, treating pain well while minimizing certain unintended consequences. So it is trying to treat the source of the pain, not just the pain itself. You're really trying to break it down and figure out what what's the beginning process here? Sure, absolutely. That's kind of both the art and the science of medicine. Is and you you start by just asking the patient questions. You've got to figure out when the pain started, what circumstances surrounded the onset of that pain, what makes it better, what makes it worse, what have they tried before? All of the different history that goes into that individual person's symptoms and what happens with their life, what how that pain limits them. Because again, when we talked about why is pain so prevalent, why is it in the news? Right. Is because it's severe. When when someone has has chronic pain, it can be a truly devastating thing. It's kind of easy to say that people that take opioids every day are just drug addicts, but sure. I think that's untrue. A lot of these people are your wives and husbands and coworkers and friends and accountants and you know friends and neighbors, and so and they have pain that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, right? Um, and they're doing the best that they can to deal with that, but. When you do have those kind of things, everyone's story is different in terms of when it started, how it started, and how it limits their life at this point. What is it causing in terms of their functional limitations now? And to that point, everybody probably presents differently in different people. No two people's pain might be the same, correct? I would say that's definitely true. Every single patient's different. So there are certain things that happen frequently. There are certain things that happen with a certain or a fairly regular pattern. But in terms of the severity of it, in terms of every person's you know anatomical layout is sure. a little different. Everywhere all yeah, unique. Absolutely, everyone is a little different, and you kind of have to figure out exactly what the problems are and how to best go about treating those. The physician then certainly has a responsibility, just as the patients have a responsibility to use the treatment correctly. Physicians, I guess, then have a responsibility to make sure they're not just throwing medicine at a situation and and being irresponsible with that. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and when we talk about uh, medicines, medicines aren't the only way. It's not just a pill, whether it's an opioid or a non-opioid okay. pill, right? So there are lots of different injections that can be used, structural interventions where we're talking about that you know, multiple, even in the injection category, more in different injections and structural type procedures than I can list probably in this time frame that we have. Also, uh, open and interventional surgeries, looking at the biomechanics and behavioral modifications. Some of those would be something like physical therapy, massage therapy, looking at smoking and weight loss types of, again, behavioral modifications, different braces that can be used. So all of those are procedural type of interventions or, or again, biomechanics or behavioral modifications that don't involve taking a pill of any type, just not including opioids. And that really might go against what people perceive when they hear pain clinic. A lot of people hear pain clinic and they think that's where you go to get pills to fix my pain. But as you're saying here, there's a lot of different routes you can go. Can you use that in combination? Do you often consult with maybe like a 
PCP or a different specialty and work in combination to try to help people with these pain issues? Absolutely. When we talk about taking a comprehensive or a multidisciplinary approach to pain medicine, it's rarely ever just one person, right? Sure. You know, I do my skill set very well, but I'm not a physical therapist. I don't do that well, so I refer to the physical therapist or the massage therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I recognize how important those things are to treating a chronic pain patient, and so I refer to those people. You have to work well with the patient's primary care physician because I deal with just the patient's pain issues, but I'm not treating his congestive heart failure or his diabetes or his high blood pressure or coronary artery disease where the primary care doctor is the quarterback, so to speak, of all of those different issues, including pain. And so you do have to be able to work with the primary care physician, the surgeon if they need surgery, and all of those different aspects of medicine. You know, you brought up a very good point in terms of you hear about pain clinics and you think, well, that's where I go to get pills. And that's always been a pet peeve of mine because the field of pain medicine is so much broader than that. And unfortunately, over the past 20 years, you had a lot of these little, you know, pill mills. Right. That's the term you hear on news telecast and newspapers. And certainly those exist. And 10 years ago, Tennessee had a huge problem with pill mills. Folks would open pill mills. They would charge cash for high-dose oxycodone, which was a, you know, a largely criminal enterprise. Sure. But we've made a lot of progress in that, not as much as we need to, but we have made tremendous progress. I think the number of pain clinics in Tennessee has gone from about 350 to 185 over the past three to four years. Uh, So over the past few years, we've cut the number of pain clinics almost in half. So again, a tremendous amount of progress in terms of getting a handle on that side of the equation. The other side of the equation is obviously now the illicit opioids, heroin, and, you know, stuff that's shipped in from China. And Mexico, that does not involve the the medical field. Right. On the medical side of things, we have made tremendous progress. But it's unfortunate that when people think of pain management, the only thing that they think of is pills or specifically one type of pill, the opioid, when the field is much, 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 much broader than that and involves countless other different modalities of treatment. So as we get ready to kind of wrap up here, for a physician out there that maybe is in training currently or thinking about changing the type of practice they have, and they're considering going into pain medicine. What would be some of your key points of advice to these physicians of what to look for, what to expect, and how to best prepare themselves for a good practice in pain medicine? First of all, you have to really be passionate about treating pain and really be passionate about treating patients with chronic pain because a lot of these folks have reached the end of the line. They've had a bunch of different surgeries. They've tried all these other different forms of therapy, and they still hurt. And you have to be able to kind of meet those patients where they are and try to improve their overall quality of life and their overall uh, function. And, and measuring success, for some people may be getting out and going and running a half marathon. For some people, it may be, be able to go to the kitchen and cook a meal. Wow! So if you can get someone who can't go cook a meal to be able to cook a meal or go to the grocery store and buy groceries for the week, that can be a, a tremendous success for that patient. And so and I imagine very rewarding as well yeah, for the and physician. I love being a pain physician. I, I find it very rewarding because you take someone that, that everyone else has said, well, give up. This is just the way it is for the rest of your life. And you can still give that person some degree of quality of life back. And to that is very rewarding, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot sure. of patience. Obviously, it may not be the most glamorous medical specialty out there. And hopefully, as we 
try to police our own specialty, we will separate pain medicine and the field of pain medicine from the, quote, pill mills that seem to be, I guess, the most widely recognized form of pain, which is unfortunate. Um, but, you know, apply for your fellowships. And, and if that's the field that you feel drawn to, get the best training that you can and go out there and do the best that you can. So I would say that would be the advice for the either the medical student or the resident that's still considering doing that. And to all the people, most of pain is not treated by pain specialists. It's treated by primary care physicians right. uh, because they treat most of the medical conditions out there because they, they're the kind of the front line of medicine. Sure. And it's my advice to all the primary care physicians, don't be afraid to treat pain. They're in a difficult situation where, again, they don't have to just focus on the pain. They have to treat that as well as the diabetes and the congestive heart failure and all the other medical all the conditions. Other conditions. Sure. But patients tend to want their pain addressed first because it hurts the most. The high blood pressure doesn't hurt. The diabetes doesn't hurt. It's a great point. But the pain hurts and they want that dealt with as their number one priority. And that's reasonable for primary care doctors to treat pain. But again, do it in a multidisciplinary approach. Be cautious when we're talking about young patients with chronic pain issues, especially Mm -hmm. back pain. And if you're not comfortable interpreting the MRI, make sure that you could consider consulting with someone, whether that's a spine surgeon or a pain specialist. One of the things that we want to get away from is using chronic opioids for the younger patient with mild degenerative disc disease. That's a common problem, and that's one of those things that that you hate to see in the office of someone that's been on opioids for five years. Sure. For a condition that they probably should have never been put on opioids for in the first place because now we still have the back pain to treat, but we also have the opioid dependence to treat because they've been on it for five years. Created a problem. So now we have two things. And so just be cautious about the initiation of opioids and be cautious about the inappropriate continuation of post-operative opioids. Someone that's had surgery still has pain and is still using their post-operative pain medicine. Yeah. And again, post-operative pain medicine is completely normal. But at some point, we have to say, okay, now we have to discontinue this and be willing to start that process of weaning or tapering and discontinuing those medications so they don't get inappropriately continued for years. Sure. So. Well, I tell you, this has been fantastic. I mean, I've really learned a lot about this, and I think our listeners as well will really be able to gain a new appreciation for what it's like inside a pain clinic. Thank you so much, Dr. Blake, for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Practice Made Perfect with your host, Brian Fortenberry. Listen to more episodes, subscribe to the podcast, and find show notes at svmic.com slash podcast. The contents of this podcast are intended for informational purposes only and do not constitute legal advice. Policyholders are urged to consult with their personal attorney for legal advice, as specific legal requirements may vary from state to state and change over time.